Well, will you take your Bibles and turn with me, if you will, to the book of Ephesians in chapter 5. I want to jump into things rather quickly here. Ephesians chapter 5. It's a familiar passage for many of you, and especially when it comes to the subject of marriage, you would almost expect a guest speaker, if he was going to be speaking a number of times to you on the subject of marriage at some point in time to go to the book of Ephesians in chapter 5. It contains some great verses about marriage. In fact, uh, normally you would expect in a setting like this when the subject is marriage, you would probably expect us to pick up our reading in verse 22 and read on down to the end of the chapter, and that's it's all great and good, but we'll not do that tonight. Uh, we'll just look at verse 31 and 32. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 and 32, our God says, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Verse 32, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. The help of God tonight, I want to talk to you for a few moments about matrimony and the mystery. Matrimony and the mystery. Will you join me as we make our prayer unto our God? Our Father and our God, I do thank you for this evening. Lord, you have ordained that we would be together for this time and this place. Lord, you have laid it upon the heart of Pastor Wilkerson, Lord, to set aside these next few days and these next few services to focus on marriage. And Lord, you have seen fit that tonight I would stand in this pulpit. I'm humbled to do so. I count it as a great honor. And yet, Lord, I confess to you, as I have already done several times leading up to this, that God, I'm too small for the task. Lord, the truth that we're going to talk about tonight, I am just not qualified. I don't have what it takes to impress upon the hearts and minds how great this truth is and how needful it is. And so I'm going to trust that you'll do that for us. I pray that thy spirit would fill me now and take control of my mind and my mouth. I pray for everyone under the sound of my voice, whether here in person or joining us uh, Lord, by way of technology, God, that you would speak to our hearts, and God, that you would help us to understand what you yourself said is a mystery. And so we look to you for your help, for your grace, and your guidance. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you were to come visit Terry and I in Dallas, Texas, and I want you to imagine for a moment that you came to see us and that we would take you to tour the Ross Perot Museum of Nature and Science. I want you to further imagine as Terry and I and you and your spouse, we walked through the museum and, and as we began to make our way down the hallways, uh, you say, is this marble? These floors, they're so beautiful, they're grandeur, they're, they're amazing, is, is this marble? And we walk along and we pass by amazing exhibit after amazing exhibit, but, but the two of you are still focused on the floors upon which we walk. 
And you further ask your questions. This, these floors, I've never seen anything like this. Is this, is this marble? Is this Italian marble? And you just go on and on about the store, about the, the floors in the museum. At some point, I'd probably say to you, folks, enough already. Forget the floors. You are missing the main attractions. Look at this solar system exhibit and look at these dinosaur models and experience the earthquake and participate in these hands-on interactive learning opportunities. These muse this museum is so much more than the floors on which you are focused. But you know, if you never lift your eyes above the floor, you'll never see the amazing, awesome, incredible things that are there in the museum. You know, marriage is a lot like that. Lost people, they don't know the true meaning of marriage, and so they have an easy-come, easy-go attitude in regards to marriage. If it works out, wonderful, but if things you know, go awry, then no problem. We can throw it away, and we can start over with the new one. Christians tend to take marriage more serious than that, but not serious enough. I, as a pastor, have counseled enough troubled and failing marriages to know that when it comes to marriage, listen to me, most people are really missing the point. Most people don't have a high and lofty enough view of marriage. And because of that, they can easily throw marriage away. Because they don't know how high and lofty that God has ordained marriage to be, they don't always put the resolve that they ought to to make it what it ought to be and to make it a lifetime commitment. You know, when you come together for a marriage conference, a marriage event, there are a lot of things that you could talk about and no doubt they would prove to be helpful. Uh, but can I tell you, what most Christian marriages need now is not necessarily uh, someone to get up and tell you how you need to spend more quality time together and how you need to prioritize your life and how you need to say no to lesser things so that you can spend uh, more and better time together. Uh, certainly communication is important in a marriage and there are skills that can be taught and learned, but what most Christian marriages really need the most is not better communication skills. Uh, finances are often uh, a problem in many marriages and cause a lot of conflict and tension. And certainly there are financial principles that we could learn from the Word of God and that we could make a greater commitment to, to get out of debt and to, and to put the kingdom of God first and to invest in spiritual things and to live within our means. And those things would prove to be helpful. But what we need most in our marriage is not financial help. It's not parenting tips. It's not how to spice up our love life. I submit to you that what every marriage really needs is the gospel. Every marriage needs to be saved. Every marriage needs to be redeemed by Jesus Christ. Every marriage, and you'll understand more of what I mean by this when I talk about a gospel marriage, because that's what we need. Uh, every marriage needs to be confronted with and conformed to the message of the gospel. The transcendent truth of the gospel, what Jesus did for sinners when he saved them, not only rescuing them from eternity in the fires of hell, but listen, the transcendent truth of the gospel is that it redeems and redefines 
everything in life. The Bible says Christ makes all things new. And that is especially and uniquely true for the marriage relationship. What I want to see God do in our lives is I want to see God save our marriages. You say, Pastor, you mean save them from uh, divorce, save them from misery? What you, no, I'm saying we need Christ to save and redeem our marriage much like he did our soul. And if we're going to see Christ, if we're going to see the gospel save our marriage, then we're going to do that primarily by pointing out the fact that the gospel is truly why you married. And you need to understand that or else you're missing the main point of marriage. You're like a person who's touring the museum and you're focusing on the floors. Okay, what I mean by that is this. What, the, what most people focus on in their marriage is their personal happiness. Can I tell you, in the marriage relationship, your personal happiness is on the floor level. Marriage is more about God making us holy than it is making us happy. And what we need is not just a good marriage, we need a gospel marriage. And so we see here something about matrimony and the mystery. Now what is a mystery? You see that word sometimes used in the New Testament. A mystery is a Bible truth that remains hidden unless God reveals it to you through His Word. And there are many truths that were concealed to the mind and understanding of Old Testament saints that God later revealed in the New Testament to believers. And one of those things is the truth about marriage. For thousands of years, it was somewhat of a mystery all of what God intended for the marriage relationship to those in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, through the message and power of the gospel, Jesus revealed a higher look, a loftier look and understanding of what marriage is all about. And so when we look at our text in Ephesians chapter 5, it really talks to us about why we're married. You see, the gospel reveals the reason for your marriage. Ephesians chapter 5 has oftentimes been called Paul's domestic theology. And usually when you hear a preacher get up and announce his text from Ephesians chapter 5 and you know he's going to deal with marriage, you, you usually expect to hear him, he's going to speak to the women about submitting to their husbands and showing them proper respect. And then he's going to address the men and he's going to talk to the men about how they ought to love their wives uh, unconditionally and sacrificially and so forth. And all of those things are found right there in Ephesians chapter 5 in the preceding verses from what we've read. And it's, it's all good and helpful. But can I tell you, usually when we come to Ephesians chapter 5 and we deal with the subject of marriage, we overlook the most important part of it. It climaxes at the end of the chapter. We read in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 31, it kind of summarizes and takes us back to the Old Testament, the book of Genesis. It says, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Then Paul says in verse 32, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Okay, stay with me now. We hear verse 32, and we interrupt the apostle and say, 
wait, wait, wait a minute, Paul. I thought you were talking about marriage. And with a puzzled look on his face, Paul says, what? No, no. I speak concerning Christ and the church. You're missing the point. I'm talking about the gospel. You see, the gospel reveals to us the reason for our marriage. And it's important if we're going to prioritize marriage as we should. And if we're going to have the high and lofty look of marriage as the Bible has us look at it, then we need to get the right picture here. You see, it's not that Paul was talking about marriage, and as he's speaking, as he's preaching, as he's writing, he thinks to himself, okay, here at this point, I need a good illustration to help them see and better understand marriage. Let me think, hmm, what can I do? How can I picture it? How can I illustrate it? I could illustrate marriage here by talking about a house and a foundation, or I could illustrate marriage by talking about a vineyard where wives are like vines and children are like olive plants. No, I know what I'll do, I will illustrate marriage by using the picture of the gospel. Listen, Paul was not trying to illustrate marriage. He clearly said, I speak concerning Christ and the church. Meaning this, Paul is not raising the gospel up as an illustration of marriage. That's not the main point of Ephesians chapter 5. It's just the opposite of that. Paul raises up marriage as an illustration of the gospel and of Christ's covenant relationship with the redeemed. The Christian's marriage is supposed to paint a picture of the gospel. My marriage and your marriage as believers, listen, it's supposed to serve as a motivational poster for Christ and the church in this world. The gospel is not a resource to make your marriage better. The gospel is the reason why your marriage should be better. You should be motivated first and foremost as Christians, but as a Christian husband and as a Christian wife, you should be motivated to make your marriage the best it can be because God says the reason for marriage, the reason you are married is to paint a picture of the gospel and to help the world better understand the love that Christ has for his own, the covenant relationship between Christ and those whom he has redeemed. This text, Ephesians chapter 5, it's not primarily advice for marriage. This text is more about the aim of marriage, meaning your relationship as husband and wife, again, is to paint a picture of the gospel, illustrate for the world, for all that look at your marriage, the relationship between Christ and his bride, you and I, the church. You're familiar with the Rorschach test. That's been around for a long time. That's the picture of the ink blots. And the Rorschach test, it's a psychological test in which subjects' perceptions of those ink blots are recorded and then analyzed, and they use that data to diagnose various mental health issues. And so you've seen those before, those, those various ink blot pictures, and they hold them up and they ask people what they see in those pictures. And people say, well, I, I see a butterfly there, or I see a bird there, or I see flowers there. Listen, Paul is saying, when your marriage is held up, people ought to see the gospel. 
When people look at a Christian marriage, they ought to see a a picture, a model, a reflection of the relationship of Christ and His church. Listen, the point I'm trying to make is this. Too often we have too low of a, uh, a view of marriage. We think it's about our personal happiness. That's the floor. The main exhibit, the main attraction, that which is awesome and amazing and wonderful about marriage is that when it's right, it pictures the love of God. It pictures the gospel. And so we need to get the picture right first. This is not that the gospel pictures marriage. This is marriage pictures the gospel. And when you get the picture right, then you'll be able to get the purpose right. You see, if marriage is supposed to be a picture of the gospel, then that means the purpose of your marriage is to reveal and to display the kind of relationship that Christ has with His church. And when you've got husbands and wives that are living in disharmony and fussing and fighting and not forgiving and not showing grace, what kind of picture does that show to the world? In his wonderful book, This Momentary Marriage, Pastor John Piper, and I know we would not agree with everything with uh, Brother Piper, but he wrote a good marriage on marriage. It's a book on marriage. It's called This Momentary Marriage. And he said this. He said, most foundationally, marriage is the doing of God, and ultimately, marriage is the display of God. And he goes on in that same chapter to say this. He said, the ultimate thing we can say about marriage is that it exists for God's glory. That is, it exists to display God. Now we see how marriage is patterned after Christ's covenant relationship to His redeemed people, the church. And therefore, the highest meaning and the most ultimate purpose of marriage is to put the covenant relationship of Christ and His church on display. That is why marriage exists. That is why you are married. You see, you're going to have a hard time improving your marriage and bettering your marriage if you don't first understand the, the purpose of your marriage. And the purpose of your marriage is not for you to live happily ever after. Now, by the way, when, you're, when your marriage properly pictures Christ and His love for the church, then you'll find happiness. But you got to quit looking at the floor. A few years ago, um, well, let me just say this. When, when, when we ask people about the purpose of marriage, why God instituted marriage, you'll get a variety of answers, and even from Christian people. And most of the answers they give are only partially right. Some people say, well, God created marriage so that man would be complete. He gave him a helpmeet, or uh, marriage is for the purpose of companionship, and so uh, that we'll not be alone or lonely, or marriage is for propagation, to have children, or, or, or marriage is for physical pleasure, marriage is to uh, help us to avoid uh, Im- immorality. Can I tell you, those are all maybe somewhat of a reason for marriage, but those are not the main reasons for marriage. It's really not about your spouse and you. It's not about legal and sexual benefits that you gain through marriage. We've got to get the right purpose if we want to save marriage, if we want to have a marriage that's redeemed. And it is first and foremost. Listen, this was a mystery. This was a mystery that wasn't understood in the Old Testament that became revealed in the New Testament. Marriage, first and foremost, is about the gospel 
about living our lives in such a way and relating to one another in such a way and having a marriage that pictures the relationship of Christ to his church in this world. And so the gospel, it it reveals for us the reason for our marriage. It helps us to get the right picture and the right purpose. But not only that, listen, when, when you understand that marriage is a picture of the gospel, then it helps to regulate your marriage. And what I mean by that is this, when we understand that the gospel is the purpose of our marriage, then even in our struggles, the relationship remains secure. Because, because when, when your marriage pictures the gospel, then it gives grace to your struggles. Just as you personally and gradually are being sanctified by God in your own spiritual walk, so is your marriage. Say, Pastor, we, we've got some real marriages in our problems. Okay, so do you in your personal life. But here's what the gospel tells you. Just because you have some problems and some issues in your own personal Christian life, God continues to give you grace for a lifetime. God continues to show you mercy. God continues to lavish you with love and blesses you and gives to you. And no matter what struggles you have personally, your relationship with Christ is secure in him. And when you understand, when you have a gospel marriage, that translates into your marriage. And your spouse has some struggles. There are some issues in your marriage, some problems you need to work on. But you understand, hey, my marriage is no difference between me and my spouse than my relationship is with Christ. And just as Christ gives me grace and my relationship with him stays secure, when we have problems in marriage, what we do is we give grace to one another. We show mercy to one another and we continue to love one another. And so it gives grace to struggling marriages, but it also gives us some guidance to strengthen our marriage. What do you and I do in our personal walk with God in regards to our sinful failures and our faults? Well, I'll tell you what we do. We exercise confession and we receive forgiveness from God. And so it is to be in your married life. You for a lifetime are committed to showing grace to your spouse. You for a lifetime are committed to forgiving your spouse. Why? Because that's what Christ does for you in your ongoing relationship with him. I don't know about you. I'm not a big movie guy to begin with, but I really hate chick flicks. How many guys are with me on that? I hate chick flicks. And it's not because I'm a guy and I want gunfire and explosions in my movies. It's not that. I don't like chick flicks because they don't give an accurate picture of love and marriage. They're all the same. They begin with this, this, with, with with a perfect, skinny, beautiful actress, and everything is great in her life. She's just waiting for Mr. Right to come along and make her life complete. And he finally comes along, and he's, he's perfection. He's handsome. He's trim. He has great hair and beautiful eyes, and he's a complete romantic. And you ladies are sitting there watching that chick flick, and then you look over at your husband during the movie. And you go, hmm. I mean, he's sitting there in his shorts and his undershirt and a stack of cookies sitting on his belly. And you say to yourself, hmm. 
And you look back at the movie screen, and this couple is smiling from ear to ear, staring in one another's eyes. They're walking hand in hand down some street in Paris, and violins are playing in the background. And then all of a sudden, the next scene, they're waking up together the next day in bed. And they roll over, and they smile, and they stretch, and they say, good morning. And they immediately start kissing with morning breath and all. Stop it. No, I'm sorry. Nobody does that. That's not real life marriage. Real life is morning breath and piles of dirty clothes and sick kids and stacks of bills to pay and struggling with weight gain and hair loss. That's the reality of love, life, and marriage. You can't be guided by Hollywood. That's fantasy. Your marriage must be guided by the gospel, and that's good news, because you know what? The gospel sustains people who have bills they struggled to pay, and kids that are sick, and trying to find time to be with your spouse. The gospel, it reveals the reason for our marriage. It's not just to make us happy. It's not about living happily ever. There's something higher in view that God has. God says, listen, I bring you together in marriage that there might be a physical, physical tangible picture in this world for lost people to see the gospel message. To see the commitment and the love that Christ has for his bride, his, the ch his church, gives us the right picture, helps us to understand the right purpose, and then it regulates our, our marriage because it helps us to realize that it's a lifelong commitment of continuing to extend grace and mercy and forgiveness to love one another, to help one another, to bless one another. And then the gospel marriage also understands that it requires resolve in our marriage. Again, to quote John Piper's book, The Momentary Marriage, he has a chapter called Staying Married is Not About Staying in Love. And in counseling people through the years, I have heard so many of them say the same stupid things. Things like this. I just don't love him anymore. Or he says to me, Pastor, I love her, but I'm no longer in love with her anymore. What does that even mean? What does it, you know, and that's the kind of thinking that is the product of our secular society because the world says love is just about your feelings. It's about whether or not you're happy. And if your feelings change enough, then maybe, maybe this marriage is just done and maybe you should move on because after all, doesn't God expect me to be happy? But the gospel is the reason for your marriage. If the gospel is the reason for your marriage, then your commitment to that marriage is bigger than your feelings. Staying married is not about staying in love. Staying married, listen, is about keeping covenant. 
And I know what some of you who are struggling in your marriage relationship want is you want someone to give you the five secrets to lasting love. You want someone to give you five tips on how to live happily ever after. But I'm here to tell you that staying married is first and foremost just about keeping covenant. And that's why we're not to enter into marriage lightly. That's why we stand at a marriage altar and we make our vows to our spouse. But listen, not just our spouse, unto God. And we, we, we enter into a relationship, again, I'm going to say it till I'm blue in the face, that is to paint a picture of God's covenant. In the Old Testament, whenever two people would enter into a covenant, they would take an animal, they would sacrifice that animal, and they would cut that animal in half. And they would take half of the animal, and they would lay it over on this side, and they would take the other half and lay it over on this side, and in between them was what was known as blood alley. And the two people that were entering into an agreement, a covenant together, they would walk together between those two severed sacrifices. And what they were saying is, I promise to keep my word and to uphold the covenant. And if I don't, may this, what has happened to these animals, happen to me. It's the Old Testament way of saying, till death do us part. And keeping covenant, keeping your promise for a lifetime when you say I do is hard if all you have is a low view of marriage, of happiness. But if you get the higher view and say this is bigger than me, it's bigger than my feelings, it's bigger than my personal happiness, it's the way in which God has ordained that we would show his love, his covenant love to his bride, to this world then it brings a greater resolve for a lifelong commitment. Till death do us part is a sacred promise. It's a sacred promise between a man and a woman, a husband and wife. But listen to me, folks, it's more than that. It's to God. Why should you have a lifelong resolve to stay married? Because your marriage is supposed to portray the gospel. It's supposed to picture God's unending love. And so that ought to cause us to ask some questions. If, if, we, if our marriage is a picture of the gospel, a picture of redemption, a picture of covenant relationship, what, what is the reality of salvation's promise? If marriage is supposed to ultimately illustrate the gospel, then what is the reality of the promise? We see Jesus loving his people with an everlasting, unconditional love. We, say G, we, we see Jesus saying this, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor death nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the love that our married love to our spouse is supposed to portray to this world. We see here from Jesus covenant-keeping love for all eternity. 
In the gospel, the father has said to his son, do you take these people as they are to be your bride? And Jesus said on the cross, I do. And he has looked into your eyes and he has said this, he has made this promise to you. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I am with you always, even unto the end of the ages. That is the reality of salvation's promise. And that is the picture you portray when you make a promise and say, I do, till death do us part. And it's one thing to dissolve a marriage and cause all the hurt and the pain that divorce brings to children, how it scars their life for a lifetime. It's one thing to bring hurt to your spouse as well as to yourself when you end a marriage and divorce. But listen to me, that's the low view. The high view is what you have done to the picture that God has ordained your marriages to be in this world. So what is the responsibility of us as salvation's picture? If marrying is about displaying the gospel, just as Jesus committed himself to me, so likewise I am to commit myself to marriage. As a person who has been joined to another person in the sight of God for the purpose of displaying the gospel of God, I have a solemn responsibility to not allow my marriage to deny the gospel that I say I believe. And that really is the great sin of divorce. It distorts and destroys God's perfect picture of what marriage is supposed to display. Divorce in picture denies the gospel. Because it paints a picture that says the gospel is not true. Jesus will not always love us and keep us. When, when a Christian marriage dissolves in divorce, it says Jesus and his church will only remain together if they can work it out. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German pastor and theologian. He was imprisoned. He was eventually executed by hanging by Hitler's regime in 1943. He himself was never married. He was engaged to be married to Maria von Weidemeyer, but unfortunately he was hung to death before they could get married. But while he was in prison, he wrote a letter to a young bride and groom-to-be who were members of his church, and he advised them on the nature of the union that they were about to enter by getting married. I want to read you just, just a small portion of that letter that Bonhoeffer called a wedding sermon from a prison cell. He wrote, and I quote, as you give the ring to one another, so love comes from you. But marriage comes from above, from God. As high as God is above man, so high are the sanctity, the rights, and the promise of marriage above the sanctity, the rights, the promise of love. It is not your love that sustains the marriage, but from now on, it is the marriage that sustains your love. You see, folks, regardless of the reason why you think you got married, God says the mystery is this. The real meaning of why you got married is to display to this world a picture of the gospel. To show others an example of the covenant relationship between Christ 
and his own. Now, that doesn't mean anything to the lost because neither their marriage nor their soul has been saved. But can I tell you to you as a Christian, the understanding of this truth, this higher view of marriage ought to make all the difference in the decisions you make in regards to your marriage. The resolve that you have, that you stay married till death do us part. And my prayer for us tonight would be simply this. May the love of God that led to the salvation of your soul so capture your heart again that it will save your marriage as well. I want to ask the pianist to come and just to begin to play softly, if you will, just when you get to the piano. I want you to close your Bibles and look right up here. I want to tell you two stories in closing. Really, it's two parts to one story. It's not original with me. It was shared with me, and I want to share it with you. The first story, or the first part of the story, involves a young man in his 30s. He was a Christian, but he had been out of church for a while. One day, a pastor who was a past acquaintance of his ran into him, and they engaged in small talk on the street, and the pastor asked the man how his wife was doing. The young husband sighed, and he said, she's gone crazy. The pastor thought he was just kidding, and he sort of chuckled, and the young husband said, no, I'm I'm serious. I think she's gone crazy. She's going through some sort of an emotional thing and all. I don't really get it, but she acts all depressed all the time. She's moved out of our bedroom and into the spare room because she said she needs some space. And she's not taking care of the kids like a mom should. She doesn't bathe unless I tell her to. She's gained a bunch of weight. The house is a mess all the time. She, she doesn't clean or do any work. She's messed up. And then the young man said to the pastor, I don't know how much more I can take. The pastor, offended by this man's insensitivity and his coldness, responded by saying this, I'm glad Christ never said that about me. I don't know how much more I can take. The same pastor, a few days later, is with a dear friend of his, it's an older man, A man whom after decades of marriage and now in his early 50s is married to a woman who 10 years before was in a severe car crash that left her with irreparable brain damage. It's altered her personality and greatly hindered her quality of life. But for over 10 years now since the accident that took away from this man the wife that he had known, the pastor has watched this man love and care for his wife. He didn't spend much time away from her because whenever he was gone, she was prone to have panic attacks and just wasn't ideal for her for him to be away for any lengthy period of time. Pastor said he watches this man as he patiently answers her same repetitive questions over and over and over again. She often says and does embarrassing things in public, but Anytime it happens, he just smiles and says, it's okay, sweetheart, and just loves on her. On this particular day, the pastor asked his friend to go to dinner with him and with a couple of other men. He, this pastor felt like his buddy could use a little time of refreshing. And so this older man, this particular day, left his wife at home with a caretaker that often helped him with uh, the care of her. And as this group of men were walking inside the restaurant to take their seats at the table. He said to the pastor, Pastor, give me just a minute. I, 
I want to call home and check on my wife. So the other men made their way into the restaurant to find a table and the pastor just waited off to the side just a few feet away just to give his friend a little privacy as he made his phone call. The older man made the call on his cell phone and expecting the caretaker to answer but was surprised when his wife answered. And the pastor listened and he heard his friend, this older man, say in a boyish voice, Hey girl, how are you doing? I sure love you. I'll be home in a little while. I can't wait to see you. I miss you. The difference between those two men was not age or maturity. It wasn't even love. The difference between those two men and their marriage was the gospel. The older man had made a commitment to his wife that was really first and foremost a commitment to his God. He had resolved that he was going to love and care for his wife for God's glory. Listen to me. Folks, you had better make a commitment to your marriage based on someone a whole lot bigger and better than your spouse. Because I'll promise you something that's going to prove to be true. They're going to deeply disappoint you in your life. And you're going to deeply disappoint them. And if you're not committed to God and the gospel and painting a picture of His covenant love for His bride and how you relate to your spouse, you're going to miss the point of marriage. And oh, you may manage to stay married, but your marriage will not be redeemed. It will not fulfill its ultimate purpose for which God instituted marriage. We don't need good marriages. We need gospel marriages. We need commitments that go far beyond our feelings and whether or not I'm happy. That's looking at the floor. We need to take the higher view of marriage and say, not only am I going to stay married for a lifetime, but I'm going to treat my spouse with the kind of love that I receive from Jesus Christ. Because when people look at my marriage, I want them to see the gospel.